0: Colts and Browns this Sunday, four twenty-five. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley back two days in a row, I guess. Yeah. Here on this edition of Kevin's Corner, uh, I look at the Week Five slate. I don't think there was a better game out there than Colts and Browns. I saw Titans, Bills, and obviously we'll we'll see what happens with that game as we uh, get into the back half of the week. But in all seriousness, man, Colts Browns,
1: I, I really think is going to be a very good football game, and I think that's where the eye should be. I know that's where our eyes are going to be. Uh, Thursday night, not too bad. You get to see Tom Brady again.
0: Yeah, what's that? that it's that Bears. Bears, Bucks, Bears and Bucks. And yeah. next week, I think, is Chiefs and Bills, if I'm not mistaken, on Thursday night. So we're finally out of the old Brett Rippon toilet bowl action we've right. gotten the past few weeks. So um, Yes, it is Chiefs. So Eagles. yeah. 425 kick again, Colts at Browns. They'll play the Bengals then a week from Sunday and then the bye week. Um, so we'll stick to kind of our two podcasts a week. Here for next week as well And then bye week, I don't know, probably only one then And uh, then it gets really, really difficult For the second half of the NFL season So, um, yeah, today's podcast will obviously preview the Browns a little bit Not a ton of Twitter questions to get to And uh, we'll hear a little bit from Chris Boward as well But uh, I'm looking forward to Sunday, man I think it's it's a... uh, I don't think... When I look at the schedule right now I can't confidently say that any team the Colts have played will be in the playoffs. Like I, I don't want to bet with my money. Hell, I don't even know if I'm gonna <laughs> bet with your money that the Bears are even gonna make the playoffs. And I know they're three and one, and they probably are. I don't know in the playoffs if we to start today, but I just don't see that. And then you get a little deeper into it, and I, I don't even know if Cleveland is gonna make the playoffs. But it is still a a better measuring. St- it's by far the best offense that you've played really good offensive line as well. So you know, last week you kind of played a better defense. This week you kind of play a better offense. Mm-hmm. Now you mesh those two together and it's like, all right, we're starting to get a little bit more playoff level caliber football here for this uh, Colts team. And
1: I'm excited to see them uh on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Do you have a preference when it comes to game times? Are you uh do you like the afternoon slot?
0: Yeah, you know, someone was was uh one of my buddies was texting me like oh, you know, 425, Kev, you got to love that or whatever. And I'm like, well, it gives me... Or maybe you said you got to hate that. I kind of forget now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I mean, it gives me more of a morning, certainly, and early afternoon as well. Right. And obviously I can just kind of watch the 1 o'clock games, whereas the 1 o'clock, you miss out on all the other 1 o'clock games if your Colts play at 1. And then the 425 games, you're working pretty much the whole time during the 425. So, I mean, I watched... Hell, I, I watched the Browns. I watched the Bucks mm-hmm. and uh, Chargers a lot last week. So 425 if I had a preference just because, you know, I get a lot of rosy time in during the day. And then, you know, I, she was about at 730 anyway, so it's not like I'm hanging with her after the game by any means. I can just kind of work. But it does make quick turnaround uh, for morning radio the next day and podcast. So I think there's one more 4 o'clocker, if I'm not mistaken, for the Colts. Right now on the schedule, there's still that Texans game later in the year, which uh, is supposed to be, I think, the same weekend as Big Ten Championships at Lucas Oil, Uh, the Big Ten football championship, that is, and uh, Crossroads Classic as well. So, I don't know. With how the Texans have played, that might be a Sunday 1 o'clocker. So, yeah, this is a bit abnormal to see the Colts with this many 4 o'clock kicks because I think, what, now three of the last four weeks? Yeah, Jets. Jets was four, and then Mm -hmm. obviously last week you had covid ramifications.
1: Yeah, cuz you talk about after the game, you have to work uh anything that we should be looking for coming up on 1075 the Fan, any stories you're working on?
0: You know, this week I posted um Julian Blackman one go up on Monday. We had a look at the defense and just the remarkable turnaround that they've had since that season opener as well. Uh what did I post? I think I'm going to do an offensive line story. Maybe for tomorrow. We just got back from Colts' practice. We'll go over some of the injuries. It's probably the ugliest-looking injury report of the season yeah. so far. Uh, oh, I also posted 10 takeaways. I forgot about that. 10 takeaways from the first quarter of the season. I'll try to do that at every kind of quarter mark here in 2020. So, yeah, posted that earlier today, and
1: then uh, we heard from Chris Ballard as well. We did because Chris Ballard, I believe, comes on about once a quarter.
0: Yeah, he does that on his Monday night show. Uh, so, you know, the Colts have the Monday night show. Used to be the Bill Poleon show. But uh, Frank Reich is typically the guest on that, but Chris Bauer comes on and I guess let's let's touch on a few of those things there that kind of stood out to me. Um he, he was asked about the rookie class. You know, he mentioned how Michael Pittman was kind of coming on, he felt like before the injury in that Jets game. And then he also talked about Isaiah Rodgers and that he feels like, you know, him at Kick Returner is close to breaking one and we're starting to see more of Rodgers at kick returner which I'm fine with you know it's kind of like all right is it going to be Campbell is it going to be Hines and Campbell's gone and now Hines has a bigger offensive role so i i'm as long as Rodgers can hold on to it it's another you know part of the game where you can sneak 8 to 10 yards and i think like that's how we have to look at special teams and i know maybe i kind of carry a torch for special teams more than most but you know when Rodrigo or uh um, Rigoberto you know, Pins a punt inside the 5 Look at that as like a 17 yard gain If that mm-hmm. punt is at the 3 yard line And Ashton Doolin runs down there Rigoberto Sanchez has theoretically Thrown a pass to Ashton Doolin And gained 17 yards That ball goes in the end zone, now it's at the 20 mm-hmm. So like that's how you look at Isaiah Rogers At kick return, if you bring it out And you get to the 32 You've gained 7 yards, because the touchback in the NFL Is at the 25 For, for kickoff, so um, you know, I, I thought that was interesting that he mentioned Rodgers there, you know, kind of coming on a little bit more, you know, <laughs> defense, it's so funny. You know, Chris, you know, was the one that made the hire of Matt Eberflus. Mm-hmm. He really wanted this scheme, you know, he felt like in an indoor setting, speed and kind of high effort is, um, is really what you want. And I think he, I remember him saying like, there's not a lot of three, four defenses that win Super Bowls, which was Kind of an interesting note, and it is something when you look into three, four, I think indoor teams is um, is not a team, not the style of defense that you think of winning Super Bowls. But he um, basically is just like, we simply are going to do what we do and do that better than it, it's a very simplistic way of talking about this defense. He didn't really admit there's been a whole lot of changes. There have been a whole lot of changes. I mean, that other people in our Organization have said that I don't know if Chris for some reason I guess maybe just doesn't want to say that as publicly but there has been schematic changes for that and I also thought it was interesting and I posted that in the in the defensive article um, on Tuesday I think it was I had a quote in there from Philip Rivers about what stands out to Rivers about this defense because Rivers is he's such an insightful guy and really I think gives a pretty honest opinion about a lot of topics and he said the thing that kind of struck him the most during training camp was how they run to the football. And I know that can be a very just kind of basic high schoolish thing. But I do think we are starting to see more and more of that. And it affords the opportunity of like, if you miss one tackle, someone else is there. And I think the more you just are, I don't know, kind of forcing people to run to the football – guys feel more comfortable guys feel like they're almost doing something they have confidence in their role and over the course of a game course of a season that is an element of this defense that like i, I always you know kind of gave a little nod to i don't think it's certainly the more the most diverse thing and the crazy schematic thing like i still think you can sprinkle that in but having that core belief as a defense makes a whole lot of sense yeah. um so you know, chris really hit on that he had some comments about Mo Ali Cox to Forrest Buckner. You guys can check out as well on 107.5, and then and then just lastly, he mentioned, uh, you know, just going back to what he said at the end of last year, he that he failed his coaching staff with not giving them enough depth. Mm-hmm. And if you look right now, I mean, think about it. You know, Burton three games, Mac three games, Campbell a couple games, um, Hooker obviously a couple games. You know, I I know I'm missing other guys in there. I mean, you've, your depth has been, te- you know, tested a whole lot here early on in the season. And whereas last year you lost 7 of 9 when you needed some of that depth to show up, this year you're winning football games. And I think the key metric to look at, Chris, and I, I get this, you know, so often right now. And part of me, when the schedule came out in May, I was like, and I'm pretty sure I said this on the podcast, I was like, all right, I see this schedule. Great opportunity to get some wins early, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure we're going to have a great gauge on this team in January until about November, which just kind of sucks. Like, but that's the reality of yeah. the schedule. Now, having said that, you can still show some signs that make you feel better and that this 3-1 and one is different than last year's 5-2, and two. and I think that's what we talked about on Monday. That point differential is the biggest thing right now for me. Right, The Colts are plus 47 in point differential right now. That's the third highest in the NFL. I think Baltimore and Green Bay, Mm -hmm. just by a couple points, the only two teams that are higher than that. So, again, when you are dominating the scoreboard like that, that to me is like, okay, you aren't playing with fire with nine straight one-possession games to start the year, and you are sound in some areas that you weren't as sound in last year. And sure, is this defense going to keep up? a historic run to start the season? No. Is the offense going to be as poor as they've been run game-wise and situationally? Probably not. You would expect those areas to get better, considering they are kind of strengths, yeah. especially the run game. So, um, I, and <laughs> I do this a lot from like, yeah, I'm such a big Notre Dame basketball fan, and they win all these non-conference games over, you know, cupcakes and whatnot, and you're always like, man. Are they good? Oh, wow. 13 one. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, you know, and then it's like, oh, wait. No, it all depends on what they do in the Crossroads Classic. What they do in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. You know, how they played in Maui. It's like very selective of like, I feel like the team can get in the tournament. Can they win a first round game? Can, can they get to the second weekend? Like those things. And that's how I look at the Colts right now. They can get in this dance. Yeah. I have no doubt about that right now, four weeks into the season. There are some signs that are like, man, I think they can win a game. But there are certainly some other things where I'm like, all right, still need to see better tests, and obviously that'll come. And I know that's tough for, like, a lot of fans. They, they, they just want this. What do you think? What do you, you know, Is this real? Is this a fluke? What are you seeing? I'm probably leaning towards there are more signs of real, more than last year. Last year I was a huge skeptic all through that seven-game start. I'm less of a skeptic now, but I still am not going to put it into this mic of, this is a team that's going to win multiple games in January. I, th- there are still a couple of things um, to be checked, and that's why you've got 12, twelve more games to go.
1: Right, and and just back to your original point, in talking about Ballard's quote, and I know some of the things aren't necessarily positive in in regard to why players have have played. You know, you got the opt outs, you got the injuries, but for him to name so many rookies, looking at it from an optimistic standpoint, then I see that they're drafting guys that are NFL ready pretty much from day one.
0: Yeah, and the guys that are obviously coming from different backgrounds mm-hmm. too. I mean, you know, Rodgers played for the worst defense in the NFL at, or in college football last year at UMass, and now he's not necessarily helping you out on defense, but you know, he is giving you something on special teams right now, and 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 your depth is going to be tested potentially like no other th- this week with yeah. where your injury situation is currently at. So, um, you know, thirtieth ranked schedule, it is what it is, but again. You have shown me some signs early on in how you've controlled this game, these games, that I'm like, okay, this isn't just, you know, skin of your teeth, all these one possession, heart stopping fourth quarters. This is you know, Jacoby Brissett played a couple series in a game and, you know, the the Bears are having a flukish touchdown to try and somehow, you know, backdoor their way into a cover or whatnot. Like mm-hmm. it's just there is less game pressure on the Colts in three of these four games so far in the fourth quarter. Now, I think it's a good thing to have a little bit more game pressure on you because inevitably that's what's going to happen in right. January. You're going to play games that are tighter. And, and I do think starting Sunday, honestly, I, I would be surprised if if Sunday, even though I think Cleveland has such a stigma against them that it's hard for me to even get out of my head, I, I would be surprised if, uh, if Sunday turns into what we've seen the last three weeks.
1: Yeah. Don't have many Twitter questions, but we, we want to start there. Yeah. Get to yeah, those. Yeah. This first one comes from Austin. Ask: Do you know how well the Colts are following social distancing as an organization? With teams having outbreaks like the Titans and the Patriots, could you see the Super Bowl possibly coming down to the team who, who follow the precautions the best?
0: Boy, Austin, it's a great question. Obviously, it's been kind of the news of the week um, yeah. right now. I, you know, to be fair, I don't know if I call the Patriots an outbreak yet. Yes, it's prominent players, but they still played the a football game mm-hmm. and as of right now it looks like they're going to play a football game this Sunday we'll see how that develops the titans certainly you would consider that an outbreak um you know the colts haven't had a positive test in over 2 months from their players that's extremely impressive there're several teams that fall into that category so i think there are a lot of teams out there that should be commended for that and at times, I think this can kind of cloud the picture of how well the NFL is doing mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, you know, Tennessee clearly had some issues. I know a lot of people are screaming forfeit. I think that's a lot easier said than done. Does that mean you give Buffalo a win?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, how are you, like, and, and I think when the Titans had this kind of off-site practice, I'm pretty sure the protocols weren't necessarily in place to say you can't do that, or a forfeit would be a type of punishment that could develop you know, from breaking these protocols, whatnot in there. So, yeah, I mean, there is certainly a level of it's going to come down to the teams who do follow these precautions. I also know full well that, you know, not every Colts player is following everything, like to the nth degree Mm -hmm. by the book, like, you know, everyone's grandma or grandpa should be following these. And as we know full well, this can be a very kind of freak thing. You know, you can have minimal exposure and all of a sudden it's spreading like none other. You could go to a huge event. Um, you know, I've been to a couple of weddings this year. I've been to a bachelor party and knock on wood, I seemingly have not had it. Uh, you know, I like to think I was taking the right steps at those events. But still, uh, there are times when when I wasn't, you know, locked up in my house and in my basement or whatnot. So. I don't know, man. It's 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 tough. You know, part of me says, why do you have these expanded practice squads and you're not using them? I I get Tennessee's situation is a little different because they still are having positive tests yeah. and I think you've got to like corral that. But if you have multiple days negative and you're practicing, you've got to play. And I know that might sound harsh, but again, why are you putting more people in your building with these expanded practice squads and then not using them? Like you're theoretically exposing the fifty three man roster to more risk if you're gonna up this practice squad, you know, to uh to sixteen people this this season. So I think that's something the NFL's gotta figure out. There's way too much gray area right now in what is allowed when you are away from your team facility and is shut down. Because think about it, when Tennessee did this off site scrimmage, the NFL still haven't canceled the game for Sunday. And, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, it sounds like, was there. I mean, he's there's probably a level of him. Like, guys, we have a job to do. Yeah. And let's all go to practice field. Let's whatever. Try and get some work in. And, and hopefully, you know, we aren't going to spread it. But if we lose, <laughs> you know, we're going to get ripped because, you know, whatever. We didn't take it serious enough or, or, or whatnot. It's – there is no – I know I don't have the right answer. And there's a, a lot of people probably disagree with with, with what I'm saying. But, um. It's tough, man. This is a huge sacrifice that these NFL players are are making. I I still stand by. There's no way this could be done in a bubble. There's no way the players would accept being in a bubble. The NBA environment, I think, is much, much different than the NFL. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't have a great answer, but I know the Colts are a very high character football team with a lot of self-discipline guys, and you have to love that. And you know, the results are the results. And it's like, wow, man, the Colts are doing a lot of things right. But then I'm thinking, you know, one of Philip River's nine kids comes home with COVID yeah. from school yep. and hugs dad. <laughs> like, how flukish is that? Mm-hmm. So it's just a very tough thing to be like, the Titans are misbehaving. The Colts are not. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But at the end of the day, this is a good amount of luck
1: that's probably involved as well. Absolutely. This one comes from Scott. He says, "Hey fellas, do you think that we were pushing the ball a little bit too much to Burton and past and, and not pass to Mo? After the first drive, things seemed forced, and I didn't see much Mo Ali Cox. Or did I just miss something?"
0: I mean, he played a decent amount. I would say him and Burton played pretty similar snap counts. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the stat sheet afterwards, five. uh, Five targets for Burton and uh, two for Mo'Ally. Obviously, the two to Mo'Ally were very noticeable targets. Mm-hmm. Touchdown and an interception that was overturned. I thought it was too much force-feeding to Burton. And, and this is coming from a guy that likes Burton. I mean, I do, and I yes. think he should and will be a big focal point of this offense. But I'm like, wait, this guy's practiced twice, and he's going to have the second-most targets on the football team? Like, that that was, wow, that's a really high amount I I think Ali Cox is just, he's got to be more involved. He's Mm got to be a guy that you look at him and saying, we need a defense to feel like there's some level of game plan against him Um, because he has shown the ability to stretch the field vertically and be involved in the red zone and things like that. And the Colts just don't have anyone else here in 2020 that has done that on a a consistent basis. So, um, you know, Frank mentioned today, they really felt like the tight ends – could be involved a lot in that Bears game. They didn't have a whole lot of production outside of the Mo touchdown. Um, but yeah, I think moving forward, it's, you know, maybe it's less targets to, to a guy like Jack Doyle. And I know he has been targeted a whole lot this year, but, you know, when Pittman went down, I, I was pretty adamant. Okay, Burton, I think, is the guy that will see kind of his right. targets probably more than anything. Um, but yeah, I want to see Mo Alley get a few more, even just a nice simple screen and be like, all right, go tackle 6'5. 267 pounds -hmm. in the open field and see if you can get something, you know, seven, eight yards like that.
1: Next one's from Zach. Two takeaways from the first quarter of the season. First one being that Frank Wright seems to to take Taylor off the field during short, short yard and goal line situations more than you would think. Secondly, the offensive line is actually better at pass blocking than they are at run blocking, and I think it's fair to say really just above average at run blocking. Curious, your thoughts?
0: Yeah, Zach. I mean, I don't know if I would really call the run blocking above average right now. It's, um, I, I've taken this is probably the most, what I've spent the most on this week, um, has been kind of the run game, mm-hmm. taking a, a much closer look at things right now. And Nick Siriani was saying on Tuesday he's really pleased with the run game. And I'm like, wait, is that just an offensive coordinator afraid to call out a unit like comment? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, you know, the Colts seem to be pretty protective of their 32nd ranking in yards per carry and mention the kneel downs and mention the four-minute offense, which, again, all fair things that we acknowledge on Monday, but this is 32nd ranked. This is not 22nd ranked. And then you throw in the four-minute offense, kneel downs. Okay, now you're middle of the pack. And still middle of the pack for this offensive line you would not call successful. Correct. You would not call a major positive for this team early in the season. Um, so I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, if the kneel downs and the four-minute offense situations where teams low load in the box with you, if you feel like that is skewing this number, let's go look at the first half. First half, you're not in four-minute offense, mm-hmm. and you don't really kneel the ball down. If, if you kneel it in the first half, you maybe do it one time. Right. Colts running backs are 3.8 per carry in the first half. That's not good. No that is not good enough for this offensive line. So I will totally disagree, honestly, with with where the Colts stand on this and their feelings about their offensive line right now. The run blocking has not been good enough. Uh, I, I've taken again deeper looks at like the analytical sites of if you look at there's a couple stats that I find interesting. If you look at time spent behind the line of scrimmage, just again very kind of next gen sort of running back stat. I think it's Wilkins is fourth right now in the NFL most time spent behind the line of scrimmage. I think Hines is eighth, and I want to say Jonathan Taylor's like nineteenth. And there's 47 running backs that qualify. Mm-hmm. So I mean, hell, you got three running backs in the top half, and you right. know, Wilkins and Hines are in the top 10. So uh, time spent behind the line of scrimmage to me is they don't know where the holes are, mm-hmm. and, and, or, either the holes aren't there or they're a little bit. Not 100% sold on where these holes are, um, and then the other stat is just like adjusted um, or offensive line creating yards for their backs, and this is like a football outsider stat. And the Colts rank, I think, like fifth worst in the NFL yeah. at that. So, and especially up the middle is is really where they've struggled as well. So I I will um yeah I I will. You know, stand by. I don't think the run blocking has been good enough at all for you. And, um, you really haven't hit on the big play in the run game either, which I felt like that was something of why you drafted Jonathan Taylor. I think there's only been one run over 20 yards this season, which is not something I would have expected no. at this point. So, you know, Frank commented on the, on the second and long runs today and, and pretty much said that, you know, he felt like that was something to where, um, I'm thinking we'll get more open field coverages on a little bit second long because the defense thinks, oh, this is more of a passing down for them. You might have a lighter box. It's might easy, you know, should be theoretically easier to run. Um, obviously, they've struggled in that area. Frank mentioned, you know, just tendencies even out over the course of the season, and it's something that he looks at a ton. And Nick Sirianni mentioned that as well. And I, you know, I kind of hit on that on Monday of like, this team is anal about making sure their tendencies do not tip hands. right? So yep. it's like, are they going the reverse right now? And then we're going to see a huge counter where they ran it seven times on second and long on Sunday. Are you going to see the flip against Cleveland? Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just flat out I just don't think the run blocking's been good enough. You know, we, we've talked about Taylor's vision a little bit as well. Um, it's a unit that I think is super frustrating right now because they've been healthy. And now, potentially, they, they've hit their first injury here, right. the I think, Estanzo. So, um, yeah, Zach, I just—I kind of forget what you asked now that you said it. But, um, oh, he's taking Taylor off the field in short yardage.
1: hmm
0: Yeah, uh, you know, Taylor had, what, 17 carries? Hines had nine. Wilkins had nine. Short yardage, in particular, is where the Colts have been really, really poor. Yes. And to me, that is such a established the offensive line down more so than a running back down. Um, you know, Taylor, from a carry standpoint, I'm fine with how many touches he's got. What do you, 26 that week one, 13, I think it was, and 17? I mean, that's not—I you know, thought he'd hover right, on, right around 15 to 20 once Mac went down. So, yeah, maybe a little bit more in short yardage. But the O-line, and again, what we said on Monday, great in pass protection. Really, really good there but the run blocking has not been good
1: enough. Right. Next one's from Loop. Is it just me, or does this season, more than most at any rate, seem like the NFL is a war of attrition? To hoist the Lombardi, it might not be may the best man win. It may be may the most men win. If so, how does that change your championship picks?
0: Well, it's hard to predict injuries. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard for me to be like, okay, that team is going to have a COVID outbreak or whatever. They're going to get really banged up. So, um, now having said that, I do kind of agree with you. Now, some people would say this is the NFL every season. Um, But I do feel like when you've seen more of the COVID stuff ramp up this week, it does feel like survival. You know, who who can get there to the end and feel like they have some sort of a championship-level roster. Um, And it goes back to the Chris Bauer depth comment from earlier. You know, you're looking – I mean, today's healthy linebackers at practice were Anthony Walker, purely healthy. Anthony Walker – Zaire Franklin and Jordan Glasgow.
1: Yeah. You know? It's a big hit.
0: Right. I mean, Darius Leonard's not practicing. Bobby Okereke's not practicing. Uh, and I should say, as we are recording this, the official injury report hasn't come out yet, but that was at least in front of the media. And EJ Speed had a red jersey on. So, you know, can your depth withstand it when the level of competition starts to rise? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. And and I, I mean, I seriously mean it. From a high character standpoint and the self-motivation factor of a lot of these players on the roster, I do think the Colts have a big advantage there. Is Does that mean you're not going to get COVID the whole year? No, no. Of course not. But I do think it is something that is at least notable of, like, that should give fans, I think, a little bit more of confidence in their football team that, you know, they're not acting like a bunch of idiots. Yeah.
1: This one's from RT Smooth in reference to a question yesterday on the pod. About Matt Ryan possibly coming here, you said you don't see it. He doesn't either. Uh, but would you consider replacing Rivers with a Dak Prescott? Feels like he's young, able, underappreciated, and it's a walk year. Do you see enough in Eason to not want Dak long term? Would have to give him thirty-five to forty million per.
0: Yeah, I obviously we've had this question, you know, on prior pods, but I would say this: it's. I don't know how you could see anything in Jacob Eason that would impact your quarterback decision. Jacob Eason is not front of mind for me in making this quarterback decision. It's a nice grooming option, but in no way, shape, or form is what I'm seeing Jacob Eason do on scout team going to influence whether I think he can be the franchise quarterback for me moving forward. This is going to be a heavily invested decision, Mm -hmm. as we saw this weekend, with Ed Dodds going to watch Trey Lance, like— Again, you're not mincing words with that action. You know full well you're sending him up there because you're going to do something substantial at quarterback in the very near future, either in April, or if you think Rivers can run it back for another year, then maybe you're going to do it next April. You know, with, with Dak, it just really, really ties you contractually. And I have this kind of... Uh, the, there's just a negative... I have a negative stereotype, Chris, with quarterbacks that have been somewhere else. And sure, Tannehill has turned into more of the top ten, mm-hmm. you know, talent that he was drafted to be for the Dolphins. But like, there's just not a lot of quarterbacks that have started. You know, Breeze didn't really start. I just started a little bit, but his was more I think injury related when he left, Correct. And went over to the to the Saints, and you know, how could have been a Miami Dolphin there, in uh, in in free agency. You know, the whole, oh my gosh, what about Dwayne Haskins? Now that he's been benched, what about Sam Darnold? You know, what about here with Dak, Kirk Cousins? It's like, I just don't think the ceiling is as high there, and you're still getting some sort of damaged goods.
1: You feel like that's the Band-Aid that you referred to on the other podcast?
0: Yes. Yeah, and maybe not just like, I'm putting makeup over something that probably needs a whole lot of surgery on. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, if you really want to try and get the most you can out of that position to me it's not the Dak, it's not the Haskins the Darnold whatever I'd rather you come into my system we mold your clay mold and then financially you're in a really nice position still for four to five years to where you're not crazily invested a whole lot at the quarterback position um and and I can support you you know if all of a sudden you know, you're paying Nelson and you're paying Leonard. Now you got Dax, you know, contract sitting there as well. If you don't hit on those rookie draft picks, you're totally screwed. Yeah. So it's nothing really against Dak, but I just have a retread scar tissue issue, mm-hmm. if you will, um, with kind of retread quarterbacks. And sometimes I know that that's kind of the only route you can go. Like theoretically, this past year. Um, the Colts didn't feel like they were going to find a rookie quarterback that they'd want to come in here and start from day one. So, and, and you know, so far, I would say uh, Rivers has, Rivers without question, been better than what Jacoby was last year for you.
1: Last questions from Primus says that he's heard a lot of talking heads dismiss the Colts' defense, who's allowing 14 points per game, by citing their opponents. Those teams have scored 24.6 points per game against their opponents. Nice little quote here says, Don't dismiss a Lion because you've only seen it kill goats. Thoughts?
0: Mm, wow. Read that quote again for me.
1: Don't dismiss a lion because you've only seen it kill goats.
0: Gosh. Primus. You Gotta have a name like that to be uttering a quote like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I right. mean, shit. I need that above the toilet each morning, just kind of <laughs> getting the day started with that one. Um, I, I, I think it's a really good point. Now, you know, to be fair, there's been some mop up point situations with some of those teams, but still, I think it is something to where it falls in the reasons for me of why I have hope. Of like, yeah, you know, you haven't just played a bunch of offenses that are scoring six every game or nine every game. Right. Um, you have seen these teams do something. And I would say Minnesota probably more than any of them. Um, I know they had the mop up against Green Bay, but, you know, against Houston. They scored early in that game. So, um, yeah, you uh, there is a level of just, like, you have to play what is in front of you. But I all—and, again, I'm commending the Colts big time for being 3-1. and one. Like, that is a very good record. You're in position to make the playoffs. You've done historic things on the defensive side of the ball, which stand out to me more than anything else. But we can look at it from both sides and realize that this is the 30th-ranked schedule. And that, like I said earlier, in no way am I am I sitting here right now and saying, Chicago Bears playoff team, bank it, Rosie's preschool, you know, put it on there. Mm-hmm. No, Cleveland, no way. I mean, they're the Browns. Like I'm not. They've had a really nice start to the year. Some very good pieces, talented team. Their offensive line all of a sudden looks totally different than the one that got just ripped to shreds at Grand Park last year when the Colts had them here for joint practices. But, again, I'm not you, – your first-round opponent – I mean, think about it right now. The Colts, I think, are – I believe they're fifth in the AFC. So That's the, what – yeah. So, the one seed gets the buys. So it'd be 2-6, 3-5. So, maybe the Colts would play, I don't know, Buffalo or Baltimore in that first-round game. And Buffalo and Baltimore ain't Minnesota. They're mm-hmm. not no, Chicago. They're not – the Jets, like, they're just when you get into the postseason, it's just a different animal. So, getting to the postseason, though, is obviously a goal and something you need to get done. To get that done, you got to win football games. The Colts have done that so far. They've won three of four. Their defense has done things we never saw them do multiple weeks in a row. There is hope there, and I will don't dismiss a line because you've only seen it kill goats. That's great. Unfortunately, there's no goats in January, and we're going lowercase goats. We're not going, yeah, right. you know. All caps goats. Um that's that's just the issue when you look forward. Big picture there. I hope that makes sense. Makes sense to me. I feel like it's been one of my worst podcasts of all time. Why? I don't know, man. I just it just feels sloppy. Oh. Yeah.
1: Don't let us know in the comments if it is.
0: No though no, they will. A hundred percent. Oh man. They, they they love the rip,
1: which <laughs> is great. It's great. Well that that wraps up Twitter questions. Okay. All right, what do we got now? Let's get to the main let's get to the three keys. Yes. Let's talk about what we can do to win this game on Sunday.
0: Boy, it's a big one, man.
1: Um Yeah, I was texting a little bit with Andrew Barry, Browns GM,
0: used to be here with the Colts. Great, just a great human mm-hmm. being. I'm like, "Holy, you guys got some dudes in the trenches." They're a line. Chris uh, Jedrick Wills, they took the kid out of Alabama. Right. He's a rookie tackle. They got Jack Conklin, free agency. I mean, there's two former top 15 picks. Uh, J.C. Tredder, who was the head of the NFLPA, pretty solid center. Um, Joel, whatever the hell his last name is, Batonio yeah. or whatever his name is. High second-round pick. And then their other guard, Wyatt Teller, has been this just unbelievable find for them. He is the highest-rated guard on Pro Football Focus right now. No one's ever heard of them until this year. I'm like, wow, it's a really good five-man unit. And when Nick Chubb goes out on Sunday, they still carve up a bunch of rushing yards against Dallas. So I think establishing the line of scrimmage is my biggest key. Obviously, I just rattled off their O-line. This is going to be, I think, one of the better O-lines you face and much different than the O-line you saw at training camp last year. Bill Callahan – Mm -hmm. former Raiders coach as their O-line coach. I mean, I think they've kind of obviously new coaching staff this year. So it's much different. And then when I say establishing line of scrimmage, I'm talking about both sides because right now as we record this, you know, Anthony Costanzo does not look like he practiced today. Very rare to see AC miss a practice. Um, We've seen him miss a full week of practice and still playing a game. So Mm -hmm. this will be a long sort of uh, drawn-out Friday afternoon sort of ordeal. I knew something was up, Chris, though, when Frank Reich started his Wednesday presser and goes, yeah, as far as injuries, I'll just let the injury report. You know, do do the talking. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm just like, I okay, I can tweet right now. No Costanzo, no Leonard. Practice. Like, you just kind of knew mm-hmm. something was up. So, I've gone back. I've watched it, trying to find out where Costanzo gets hurt on Sunday. He doesn't play the last four stamps of the game. That final weird. You ran it on first down, then you took three kneels. Uh, LaRaven Clark was in there. And uh, you are facing, um, you know, the guy that had Adam Schefter tweeting assault <laughs> last year <laughs> on on Sunday afternoon, and that would be Miles yeah. Garrett. Uh, yeah, all jokes aside, the dude looks like the number one overall pick. Yeah, leads the league right now in, in sacks, tied I think with uh, homeboy from Green Bay with five. Just a stud. And if Anthony Costanzo for some reason is not in the lineup, I have a feeling Miles Garrett will put his hand in the dirt opposite LaRaven Clark mm-hmm. on first down, on second down, probably on third down. Maybe do it on the next series and do it on the next. Yeah, he's a freak. Freak. Um, So this is huge. Right, this is why I think is the most indispensable player on this football team. There's a trickle-down effect. Phillip Rivers already gets the ball out quick. He might get it out even quicker on Sunday with Garrett in the game. Um, And, and you, you know, you've kind of flirted with it a, a couple times so far. You know, the Minnesota game, and Ngakwe gets a sack, the ball's on the ground. You're able to pounce on it. Okay, crisis averted. Last week, Rivers gets hit, ball's in the air. Khalil Mack, oh my gosh, he oh, right. looks like, God bless her, my my niece Ellen Lover is trying to catch a ball in the backyard. I mean, it's just, if one of those goes the other way, totally can change the whole course of the game. And the Colts, you know, dominate field position, do you not. So establishing line of scrimmage is key number one. Key number two can't be settling for three. And I do think this is going to change. I think the Colts are going to be a better red zone team. I do. But Cleveland has the potency to score. Chicago did not. Right. So it doesn't have like a Kansas City feel to it. You know, like that. That'd be ludicrous to put Cleveland in that category. But it's like you don't want to settle for three. And the worst thing is this you settle for three and then in a little win coming off Lake Erie or something like that. Then you miss it, and now field position is all screwed up. Mm-hmm. Now, Blankenship, outstanding on Sunday because he's making kicks that Vinatieri did not make last year. So kudos to the um, to Rex Becks. But cannot settle for three. I did like to hear from Frank Reich. And this is what I, I, I do like about Frank, among several things I do like about him. He mentioned how his play calling, his game management, his level of aggression was a little bit scaled back against Chicago. I mean, it's the Bears. Right. He admitted today it probably will have to be ramped up a little bit more because, again, you got to finish drives. You've got to continue to put points on the board because Cleveland is a team that, yes, week one, they got absolutely drilled by Baltimore. Week two and three, they don't really play anybody great, but still, they scored over 30 points. That's notable. Yeah. And then, obviously, they did to Dallas what they did. So you can't be settling, settling for three. And then, lastly, um, just don't let OBJ dance too much. You know, when he starts dancing in the end zone, That's not good. You have enough to deal with with their run game. You don't want him to get going. Now, him and Xavier Rhodes have history. Monday night game, I think this was right around the whole OBJ kicking over the net (laughs) several years ago. Um, I think Rhodes was in much more of a shadow role then, and uh, three catches for like 25 yards for OBJ in that game. So uh, I don't think, again, this will be a shadow role. Allen Robinson, you know... Even before he had the, you know, kind of crazy catches he had in that last drive, I mean, he still did something against you. So, you know, where are you at right now just in taking away number one? Knowing that, honestly, I mean, him and Landry, it's probably one of the better duos you're going to see all year. I know Jarvis Landry's not the same Jarvis Landry, but he's still somebody.
1: I was going to say that, yeah, there's still another guy across the way that can can do damage as well. That's not,
0: you know, me. Um, Did you see Landry's touchdown throw?
1: I didn't. Dallas. I got to go back and watch. I heard it was a gr- he like the like crow hopped into it, didn't he?
0: He looked like a center fielder trying to throw somebody out at home. <laughs> it was like, can you not get the ball to the ends And then throw a strike. I mean, I'm like, all right, if Baker screws up, add his name to the long list of, you know, the, the, the shirt of all the quarterbacks that have started for the Browns. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, if they both get going, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden 30 points becomes a reality. And I'm not sure if the Colts can do that. That's... You know, kinda going back to my earlier point, the Colts have won with defense this year. That is something that gives me hope of like, okay, this three and one is not flukish. Mm -hmm. What you're worried about, or it's I should say it's more of an unknown. I also have worry. Have they won with offense? Or have they won coming back? Have they won with a seventeen point second half? Yeah. A fourth quarter drive. You know, those are all scenarios that inevitably develop over the course of a sixteen game season. That will be another hurdle to kind of clear playoff-wise. So, yeah, those are the three keys for me.
1: Okay. Prediction. Prediction time.
0: So you have done a great job of sneaking out of predictions the last couple weeks. Your feet is to the fire, Chris Presley. I need a score. Colts, Browns, Sunday, 425. So far, uh, I've picked the Colts in every game, by the way.
1: I know, and I don't want to be a homer, but at the same time, I don't want – People to think how how can this guy pick the Browns? But Colts are two and a half.
0: Last I saw, favorite favorite. I am wondering if the injuries though they half. might go down. I Saw David and Joku could be back for the Browns this week too.
1: Yeah, that would be big for them. Uh, like you said, the injury report's going to be big. If we co- if we come out healthy, let's say that, or even if we're only missing one player of note that we talked about earlier in the podcast, I still think we lose twenty four to seventeen.
0: Mm mm Chris Presley on Twitter, folks. You can find him uh, if you want to message him and rip him. Um, he lives. Uh, I, I won't say where he lives. But, uh, yeah, I got Browns twenty seven twenty four. Okay. I just think the injury situation probably is the difference for me. Um, and, again, we'll see how this plays out the rest of the week. To me, you know, you, you mentioned if one of those guys is out, it's the difference. I think if Costanzo's out, it's different. You can win without Leonard. And I know that some people will be like, oh, man, that's kind of a quick slap in the face. You know, when I did the most indispensable Colts mm-hmm. earlier in the year, Costanzo was one on that list for me. I don't think I had Leonard top five, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I had him at five just because of a few game-changing plays and had like Kenny Moore kind of blow him. But so far, we haven't seen a whole lot of the game-changing plays yet from Leonard. Now, I will say this. If Leonard's out, you really want to, Okereke to play and now all of a sudden you know he had the thumb surgery it sounded like I'm pardon me he's like can you club it up and see if he can give it a go Um, but you know that's me sitting in a chair and acting like NFL guys (laughs) you know should be tougher or whatnot so I just think and and maybe you know four games is too small of a sample size but the Colts are three and one in games without Leonard
1: they're certainly not three and one in
0: games without Anthony Costanzo and there's just the trickle down effect of when you don't have Castanzo in the lineup, and then Clark's in there. So we're going to have to see how these injuries play out. Obviously, without Leonard, this is a game where I would be more okay without Leonard because I don't think he's as good of a run um, in between the tackle smash mouth linebacker as maybe he is as an in-space linebacker. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'd rather have him for Baltimore. I'd rather have him for Houston, right. facing Watson. Right. Now, Cleveland's going to pretty much run it at you. And, okay, Anthony Walker can kind of get his hat. And I mean, Anthony Walker had 11 tackles in like two and a half quarters last yeah. week. I mean, Leonard, and I know tackles aren't everything, Leonard had one tackle when he exited the game. I mean, the game was a quarter and a half in, and only one tackle? That's very un-Leonard-like. So, um, yeah, I, I just think, sure, you'd rather have both of them, of course. And if Okariki's out, then all of a sudden Leonard's loss is really big. But if you're going to like just – Give me Leonard or Costanzo. I'd take Costanzo 10 days out of 10. So, a uh, little game pressure on both teams, though. And that's something we haven't seen. I mean, Cleveland, they didn't really have game pressure on them Sunday. Sure. No. Dallas acted like it was interesting. But, you know, they were going to win that game. I think I saw a stat. Mayfield's thrown six passes in the fourth quarter during that's... their three-game win streak. And, I mean, think about the meaningful passes. Rivers was thrown in the fourth yeah. quarter. It's So, it's just kind of an unknown. I think. The Cleveland Browns stigma is still there for me. So I was thinking Colts, and then I walked out to practice and thought,
1: okay, yeah, I'm
0: going to flip this. Uh, but yeah, I, I pretty much think this is a, a pick'em game. And I expect it to probably be pick'em close to.
1: And I think at some point, as much as I love Blackman, I've said it on Twitter numerous times, our fans love him so much, this to me will be one of the first times we see an offense that may be able to make, we talked about how instinctual he is, Mix up a read and they get behind him on on a deep pass.
0: And this is the most dynamic challenge he's faced. Mm -hmm. You know, you pretty much knew the ceiling of the Jets. You knew the ceiling of Chicago for the most part as well. This is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So, and and this is good. Like, this is what the Colts lost Sunday is probably not going to get me, you know, freaking out too much. Is it, again, a little bit more indicative of, okay, that's kind of playoff like competition? Sure. But, like from a record standpoint, I mean I've said it all along. If you're five and two at the at I always think of the bye. I forgot they have the Lions after the bye. If you're five and two after the Lions, you're in a good position to make the playoffs. Yeah.
1: Um
0: but yeah, the Ryan Grigson bowl as well. Oh yeah. Ryan Grigson senior. Let me see if I have this title right. I wanna say he's a senior football advisor.
1: That's just like yeah, uh, We'll give you a title that you can just get a business card Cleveland for. Cleveland
0: Senior Football Advisor Ryan Gregson. So there you go. Um, I can't wait. 425 on Sunday. Uh, you got anything else? I don't. Uh, like I said, we were we are going to have a beers with Bowen. Uh, let's go ahead and, yeah. and tell them the date. Pencil it in your calendar. The night before the Colts travel to Nashville. Mm-hmm. To take out the Titans. That will be November 11th. 8 yep. p.m. I think we're going to stick with. We are. And... Um, That'll be fun. It'll be kind of a mix of certainly a heavy Titans preview and where the Colts the – that's exactly the midway point of the season. Mm-hmm. Eight games will be done by that point yep. for the Colts. So we'll give out some midseason awards and whatnot. Uh, but I also want to always take a look ahead. We'll look at kind of all the free agents that the Colts have as well for uh, 2021, and we'll kind of make a rundown on that. So, again, November 11th, it'll be virtual, very similar to what we've done. And some cool prize packs. Prize. Good. Good to hear. Price
1: pack opportunities as well.
0: Love that. Um, So, yeah, check that out again. That'll be kind of a live YouTube stream. And another Beers with Bowen coming up here in about a month. All right, he's Chris Press. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you Monday.